0: Hey, welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here.
1: And I'm Brent Sanders.
0: And we are the co-founders of Avocado, an audio publishing platform. So uh, a bit of news this week, Brent actually sent this to me. So one of our, I I wouldn't want to call him competitor, but kind of a competitor in the audio course space is called Knowable. And they are basically like masterclass for audio courses. And so they partner with Kind of celebrities of sorts or experts and produce courses and bundle them all together and sell them as a subscription. So they raised 4 million bucks on October 1st, 2019. So a little bit before we had this idea. So call them like six to eight months ahead of us. And Warren had this excellent tweet storm this week and all the credit in the world to him because he made all his numbers public and they are not very good. He They've had 27,000 signups, $125,000 in revenue, 233 teachers signed up, a 11,000 hours of listening, and about 3,100 paid subscribers. And so they've burned through three of that $4 million and have about a million dollars left and had to fire half their team. And basically things are not going very well over there. He says his key mistakes were hiring based on expected growth, broadening customer type too early, spending too much time talking with investors versus customers, not building customer acquisition into the DNA of the product. And also, I, you know, this is probably the more concerning point to us is that COVID hasn't helped audio and less commuting time. So right. let's, uh, I think it'd be interesting for us to just talk about reacting to this and kind of what it means potentially for us as well. So what was your kind of initial take on this when you saw it?
1: Um, you know, it was interesting. I mean, it, I felt validated because we're not seeing like explosive growth, but obviously we're a different animal. Like we're, we're in the audio space, but I think we are uh, going into this. You know, we looked at audio as a growing space. And I, I do think that it, it's not seeing the growth. You know, you can say commuting is a big piece of it, but it's just like largely like people are home. I feel like it's just different. People aren't also aren't going to the gym. This is where I would consume a lot of my audio content is, you know, either working out or on a treadmill or something like that. Just kind of 45 minutes of just kind of zoning out and getting into some sort of topic. But yeah, I mean, that was my immediate reaction. I don't know if that's uh, a good reaction, but it was definitely like, Oh, okay. So they're, they're not seeing like fireworks either. And you know, we're, a different stage we're a different animal we didn't raise any money um we obviously are still in the mvp stage i I mean realistically like as in comparison to where they are and where they've you know been so far uh, by any metric we're you know in the, the very initial stages of it but i think we are seeing a similar reaction from the end user right it's like there are a lot of people interested in getting involved. There are a lot of people interested in putting their content, a lot of believers. But when it comes down to sales metrics, it's it's pretty similar in terms of you know, we didn't we didn't forecast out, but it feels similar in terms of what the reaction has been to you know end user sales. So we've it made me feel a little bit better to be honest. It made me feel like we weren't alone and it made me feel like, hey, if these guys raise 4 million bucks, then I shouldn't feel so bad about people not buying our audio courses or signing up for, you know, our our various products. So yeah. How about you?
0: Uh, Yeah. So maybe to put it in perspective for listeners, uh, a really cash efficient startup would raise like a million dollars to hit a million dollars in revenue. And then, you know, assuming it's SaaS, you apply a 10 X multiple to that. So it's a $10 million business. And then those investors are would be really happy with that kind of return. So burning $3 million and hitting $100,000 in revenue for a really not that tech heavy business is really extraordinarily not cash efficient. It is a pretty bad sign. And so I look into like what he says, those are his mistakes. I think a lot of that is accurate. Then I look at it's basically you fall into two buckets, market and execution. And I think you could clearly tell from that thread, he's not an idiot. Like They're not executing exceptionally poorly. So then you're looking more at the the market. So I I guess on the execution front first, it's like somewhat of a hits-driven business. And if you're often signing up for Netflix or HBO for a specific movie or show, and they never me had any hit that was worthwhile for signing up so they weren't great on content for a content business i didn't think they were great at marketing like they weren't partnering with any kind of influencer that would get a, a ton of distribution and then on the market front i do think he's onto something with COVID and audio like that a lot of this was kind of predicated on the thought that you do it consuming while you're traveling to work or while you're busy doing other stuff and when you're at home those use cases just don't exist as much. And, right. Uh, I think he's he, him and us are right. And like, this is the future audio and education. It's pretty clear to me that the timing is not right. And I think this is probably looking at myself. One of my bigger flaws is I'm directionally accurate on all these like future predictions and the timing is maybe overly optimistic and it is further out than I always anticipate. (laughs) So like, I think it's important for us and me in particular to look at this like dispassionately. Like I really deeply believe about this idea, believe in this idea, but is the timing correct? And I I think that is probably my biggest takeaway of this is I don't think he's dumb. I don't think he's executing exceptionally poorly. And I think the market is the problem.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, let's think of one differentiator when Noble first was in its infancy, we were just building Avocado and they had a smaller course catalog. It was very thought out, produced, specific content. And, you know, And looking at the app now, it's, you know, it's exploded. It's almost, and have they rolled out their marketplace? Because I, I feel like that's more indicative of the content that I'm seeing in the product now, which is where we went first, which was, hey, we're going to reach out to as many creators as we can and get them all into the product. And then came the like question of like, Oh, well, we have a bunch of content that's not great for audio, but we have content. You know, we we were able to sign up a couple hundred uh, creators pretty quickly, get their audio courses online. And so we, our numbers, I guess, look good there, but the quality was lacking. And that was kind of one of our conclusions was, okay, we need to be a little more thoughtful about this um, or at least get, Audio first content, and they they had that from the start. It felt like um, this like NPR quality produced content that was like, okay, this is this makes sense, and I would expect it to uh, at least prove out the model for does that level of content make sense. So, you know, the one argument that kind of creep back up that I've ha- had other people say to me, it's like, well, podcasts are free, radio's free, and I think he mentions it is like. You know there's always this idea that radio and audio are just going to be you know a thought of uh, free platform which doesn't really make sense for if you look at audible i mean that's a, a huge marketplace of, of of audio content so i i guess the the one question was like did it make sense to do like these fully produced audio courses to get started and To your point, it's sort of like a masterclass. It's like, why didn't they, or maybe there wasn't the right fit for some sort of like, I don't want to use the word influencer, but sort of like a superstar to come in and, you know, promote their audio course. It didn't seem like they were able to attract, uh, or maybe they didn't think it was worthwhile, but they didn't seem to attract that like one or two people. Although they did have a startup course with Alexis Ohanian, right? I remember that was like one, and I think he was an investor, right?
0: he was their first investor and I think he, they reached out to them like just as they had the idea. And he was basically replied instantly. He's like, yeah, I'm in. happy to record with you. And so I actually think there's some parallels to this and Quibi uh, where they kind of maybe showcase the format too much and they didn't showcase the content enough. I think that's what people care about is they care about the content. They want to hear from whatever big influencer talking about something. They don't really care that it's audio, audio, as, like, the medium to teach, it's just like they want that content. And I don't think they ever nailed that.
1: I think we could probably learn from that. I think I, I've gotten that feedback. I mean, you know, an investor that we've spoken to is kind of consistently beaten that drum of like, but why audio? Like, why does it, does it have to be audio? Like, it feels like you're pushing this unnecessarily. So I guess that validates one, t- you know, one thing that I think I've been suppressing a little bit about. The feedback it's like yeah but you know it's the thing it's avocado audio it's the thing that we're doing and you know we both believe heavily in audio and really enjoy it and see the value but like does it strictly need to be that way and i guess you know this may valley the, the the answer is probably no to that extent
0: yeah I, there is to me always there's going to be some luxury audio market of sorts and it's not clear how you approach it. I think Warren, who's the founder of Noble, kind of cleverly ended up on the same solution we did where it's like education is the most clear return on investment. So that is where people would be most likely willing to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he says he kind of de-risked it, which I don't know. I, so they have a hundred thousand dollars in revenue. Like if you, they have so much money, you could just blow that on performance marketing. And I think you could ramp up to that whether it's a great product or not, you just get some percent of people converting. Like even Quibi had, I think ten percent of people were converting from free trial to paid, and just some percent of people are going to forget to cancel. So I don't know if he's really de-risked that.
1: Did he, right? I mean, did they really give a, a sense? And I don't I don't remember seeing like here's where we're going now. It was more more so like a we got just under a million dollars in the bank. Let go half the team, but like. What's next? Like, I guess that's too, you know, TBD will hear about that in the next tweet. or so a couple quarters from now.
0: I, I th- think he covers this a little bit. Basically they let go of the half the team. They're going to laser focus on one customer, which I think is busy professionals, which is similar to where we ended up. I think those people are the most time strapped and have money to actually pay for, you know, actually learning, but I don't know. He said they had some interest on like enterprise learning. So they may go that direction, you know, this is where, I mean, it's great. They raise a bunch of money. They're paying themselves a salary. They're doing fine with that, but we are, have a bit of advantage where we are not as tied to it and we don't have these massive expectations of growth. So we could kind of step back and think, is this the direction we want to keep going or should we go a different direction?
1: Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that for a second. Cause I think it's an interesting differentiator. It's like $4 million. To be specific, I think it was three point seven five million dollars. So, let's just say you know three and a half million dollars to work with, assuming legal fees and stuff. And that's a, a cheap attorney, but uh, you've got three and a half million dollars to work with. So they've, you know, I know they invested heavily in you know how do we get this production? I'm sure when I say heavily, I don't mean that's like a lion share of it, but you are not necessarily beholden to the investors to deliver it right away. I mean, it, it's possible they could turn this thing around and, but it's going to be a long, long slog to, to get there. And so and looking at our position, I guess we, uh, we've had to, I, I can't say that we've had to work harder, but we probably have had to do more with less. Obviously there's no cash, right? We, we have our time. Um, and there's only two of us. so We weren't able to get what did he have at, he let go of half of his team. So I would assume there's like 20, 30 people on that team.
0: Yeah. I think they knocked it down to six plus a lot of contractors.
1: Sure. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I I think exactly what he said. It's like you build, you maybe build the wrong things. You go in directions that people aren't really interested in. That being said, I mean, it's, it's kind of apples and oranges, right? It's like, we're bootstrap early stage company. He's a venture backed early stage company that started before we did their traction reflects, if you look at by the numbers, I mean, their revenue is, we would love that kind of revenue. If we, you know, bootstrapped and had a hundred thousand dollars of revenue, I think we'd be really happy and we'd be going directionally the opposite way. I mean, that's almost an an interesting way to think about it. It's like, Hmm. had they been a bootstrap business, that tweet storm wouldn't exist. Then again, he wouldn't have hired all those people. And you know, how do you distill back? It's like, would he have been able to get that revenue without, you know, having, a hundred thousand or million dollars of performance marketing. Like is, do you spend a million to get a hundred thousand in this space? It's like, we really haven't, I don't feel like we've seen enough traction or we haven't dabbled with paid enough to understand like, what does it cost to acquire the customer and understand the long-term value? Just cause it's like, (laughs) it's not really in our, you know best interest to to even do that right now.
0: Well, for, for perspective on this, Uh, I don't have exact numbers, but on Gumroad, at least there's probably 200 plus creators that have made over this amount in the last year. And their cost of acquisition is probably close to zero. It's probably their own audience. And cost of production is also pretty close to zero. Like they've just done it independently. And I would say there's even more than that on Teachable. So there's probably 500 plus small businesses out there in a similar space doing this for no money. And they did it with $3 million.
1: That's interesting. I mean, it, what, the interesting part of it is I also remember the Gumroad uh, tweet storm about how the founder was about to shut it down, right? Or essentially told this story about how I think he had raised some money and then it didn't go the direction. But now, you know, by persevering through it, it's, I would imagine it's turned around because it's such a popular tool now.
0: Oh yeah. You're talking about Sahil and is like my yeah. failure to build a billion dollar business, which it is almost in all likelihood going to be a billion dollar business now. It's <laughs> just going to take 10 years more than he anticipated. I think it's, he, he talked about it where his run rate is, and he's probably like a $200 million business right now. Wow.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I guess that's an interesting aspect that I would kind of pause in both our situation and Noble situation is like, does it just take more time? Does it just take either the market to catch up with the idea or it's just a business that's going to take, you know, 10 years of time to be successful or is it a matter of confronting that truth early on and being like, okay, this wasn't a, you know, walk off home run. It's going to be a hard grind. You know, we're going to go into extra innings and we don't know if we're even going to win the game. I mean, that's just kind of entrepreneurship to a large extent, but I do think the interesting difference between us and them is the, you know the the fundraising. I'm if I, I w- would imagine that Warren would. I don't know. This probably we should probably have him see if he'll come on our our little conversation. But it would be interesting to see if he would have waited to raise money to see. You know, could he have bootstrapped as far as let's say we have, and then you know get to this inflection point where then they're going to go into the you know the the market that they they're intending to dive into and then raise the money or because you know, I think we've belly ached about, oh, you see, you know, this company's raising, they don't have, even have a product that They this company's raising and they're actually raising to build the product. And like, could we have done that? Maybe. I mean, I think I'd, I'd rather be in a position where, where we know something works. We're starting to see enough traction where it does make sense to dive in. Because I think the real cost here is our time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, do we want to spend the next six, eight years on this and driving it to a close for our investors? Or do we want to be able to quickly move and not have to kind of get everyone's consensus that we are moving into something else? And the, the hard truth of like burning that kind of cash. I, I don't know. I, I do think something needs to be said. I mean, venture capital is different from a lot of other sort of investment ethoses where it's like, hey, this, this money may not be returned. And in all likelihood, Most of the time it's not, but sometimes it is on a, and everyone, you know, most of the investors are understanding that and, um, you know, going about it in in that way, but it still doesn't make burning that kind of cash any easier.
0: Yeah. I look at, so we come from the venture capital world. We definitely could have raised that pre-seed round at extreme dilution, like to get the thing off the ground. And if we did that, we would be pretty committed to this path. I'd say our like expected value or like outcome overall is probably lower, because you're like go 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 big or bust. Right now, any outcome is positive for us, and uh, like I think the most likely outcome for Warren and Noble is they continue down this path for like two more years, struggle to raise, and probably shut it down. I mean, maybe it's like a come from the ashes story, but those are pretty rare inventions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I remember, you know, I worked on a trading floor, like on the technical side, my first job out of college and they were teaching us how to trade, right? Trade options, which again, reminds me of your, you know, you, you notionally know where your things are going to go. You know, where the market's going to go, but you have to time it as well. You have to pick the date in which it's going to happen and then work backwards from there. But it was like something along the lines of I, you know, and they gave us a little bit of money to trade with. So I, I could understand how the markets worked. And so you know, placed a bet on something. (laughs) I love it. Made an event, you know, bought certain calls or puts and then like five minutes after the open, it's down 20%. And I'm looking at, you know, sort of my coach on this and saying, okay, well, do I put in more? And he goes, Brent, if you put money on a horse and then they roll out of the gate and break their leg, are you going to go back and try to put (laughs) double down on it? Like just, just have the discipline, but it it does seem like that, but these cases do happen. So look at, I mean, I go back to Gumroad. That's a great example of like, you know, just persevering, pushing through, finding better, better market fit. And I think that's, you know, it's a lesson for us. It's a lesson for for Warren and I I hope he sticks with it. I hope they, you know, make something of it because it's, it's going to take a lot of grit and perseverance. And these are all the things that you hear about these buzzwords that, you know, people study and they're totally overused, but they are, I think the intention is for this phase of either investment or a business or whatever is to just keep alive, stay alive as long as you can. Because I've worked with a lot of companies, a lot of companies as a contractor or an advisor or whatever capacity where things change, you know, like as we've seen with COVID, like the, the market shifts and you're plugging away on this this business that's not that pretty. You thought it would be and you're three, four years into it and then all of a sudden. All of a sudden, something changes. you are really attractive to an acquirer. Things just are in constant motion. So I, I, do, I do think that that idea of like staying in the game as long as possible does make sense. But at what cost? You know it, that's when it comes down to the, the people that are involved in it and understanding, hey, this is what I'm going to spend my life's work on, and it's either going to be, you know, years for nothing and you know it just is what it is, or it's going to have a huge outcome.
0: I've had a few different really smart investors and founders tell me you just have to stay alive long enough for something good to happen. <laughs> and you don't know like what is going to happen, but often your like your hunch is right, your timing is just wrong. So you just have to you know be a cockroach, is the term in the startup world.
1: Yes, yes, I love those businesses, and I mean I don't strive to be one necessarily, but it, I'm I'm okay with that. And I think that the real interesting conversation around this, and this is I'd much rather talk to directly to, you know, warn about it than, you know, imagine how he's going through, but like the mental toll. And I think that's the game that, you know, financially, I think it it is a big deal. But like, as you said, these guys are probably making a salary. He's probably still continuing to have some sort of uh, salary coming in beyond the basic financials of just being able to pay your rent, pay your mortgage, like keep food on the table you know, I think the real challenge becomes a mental game. And I do think it's like people embody their livelihoods and their careers and become that identity of a, a successful tech entrepreneur. I just raised $4 million, like to then come out and publicly tweet this, take some serious, like that to me shows a lot of grit and perseverance. And I think he'll be successful just based on his ability to confront hard truths. Like it, Apparently, maybe it's painful for him to do it, but he, I don't think he would have tweeted this much, this many of the like nitty gritty details. Um, and I think he mentioned he's like, I'm scared to press tweet on all this stuff, but like that shows, um, to me, uh, the you know, the g word grit, perseverance, like fortitude, it shows that I, if I was on his team, I'd feel really good about that, even though. it's not good news. It's like, okay, we've had bad stuff happen and we're going to start focusing on how to turn this thing around versus I think the scariest thing are people that just never confront reality. And I think I've, I've worked on a team or two where that's the case and there's nothing more disheartening than the leader or the CEO who's just, you know, we're going to look for it together. And they just use marketing or, or sort of management speak to kind of work their way around a problem. But yeah, I, I think going back to my what I was saying before is think mental health and mental like stability is the thing to kind of really monitor and watch out for and learn about. Cause it's like, those are the people that end up, you know, creating the gum roads that end up creating, uh, like you always hear about Pinterest taking forever, you know, this long, long story of people just staying in the game and things change, you know, technology evolves and all of a sudden you have a a really interesting and, and successful business.
0: For sure. I, I definitely respect the hell out of him for making this all public. It's got to be, it's way easier to just go quiet and like quietly wind everything down. But I do think like him making this public makes his likelihood of success from the ashes way higher. Yeah, like I'm rooting for him and we are like somewhat competitive with him. Yeah. yeah. I think it shows a lot on his end.
1: I don't know. I'm not, I'm competitive, but I'm not probably as competitive as you. I mean, you actually were a like competitive athlete, but like I, and I've always been more of a, when I've done athletics, it's been individual sports and it had been more, more so in the music world. So I'm like more of a co-op gamer than a competitive gamer. But like, I really do think that rising tides in in this industry, it's going to rise everybody up. So if they do really well, like it's going to have an effect on avocado. And I I think I'd like to think that about all the competitors in the space that it's like, we're all kind of fighting for the same thing. There's plenty of pie to go around, but you know, that doesn't mean I want to be, you know, I don't want to be at the top of the chain. I definitely want to be, there but you know at this point it feels like a team right it's like team audio and we're kind of working towards the same thing even though we probably are fighting it you know on the ground level for creator by creator like who's going to win each one of these creators but I think the larger question that I think we need to think about and walk away from and probably have a follow-up conversation around is like is the time for audio now is this the red herring is this the you know, canary in the coal mine, basically saying, "Hey, this is not uh, an interesting space, or is this just a you know a normal business that raised money and went in a different direction that they should have?"
0: Yeah, my inkling here is that the, our timing is off, and I kind of spent the Christmas break looking at it as dispassionately as possible and seeing where we could take you know all the stuff we built, which I think is a lot of really valuable stuff. And all the credit to you, like I think what we built is really impressive and there's other opportunities to use that that may be more fruitful in the short-term and the long-term so oh, sure. thinking how to take advantage of that.
1: Yeah. The good news is, is we have like, we've got a, a base, nothing's gone. We haven't really gone too deep on anything. And I think we've built like minimally, like we have some really robust features, but they haven't been like overdone. That I think the the urge we have to fight is like, if we just built, like you were just saying you had a, a purchase on your, your audio course, which you're like, I don't think I got an email. It's like, I don't think we built emails for that. Like, I don't, <laughs> like, it's still to that point where it's like, ah, uh, you know, we've always tested, like, I'd rather send you an, a manual email the first couple of times and then implement that email to, to, you know, to the, on the creator side, which it's like not a great experience, but it's always in this mindset. We haven't seen that critical mass of of transactions or proof. So I don't think we've gone too deep, but that being said, we've been focusing on acquiring customers and creators in the audio space. So we're we're definitely deep into that and, you know, we'll see, does it make sense to continue down the path or does it make sense to, you know, look at other things? So I, I do think I, I'm i a passionate person around audio, but it's more so the creator, the underlying like creator economy that's been exploding and, and it's going to continue exploding, I think.
0: Yeah, we are kind of straddling three interesting markets, I'd say audio, the creator economy and education. And I wonder if audio has these covid like headwinds, tailwinds, tailwinds. Which one's going against you?
1: Headwinds. <laughs> yeah. Headwinds, uh, yeah.
0: That are problematic and I think are going to be problematic. I don't think, you know, people have been at home for a, a year, I think they're going to be home for two years. And it's going to be hard to get people to go back and change their behavior to how it used to be. So I think that old world is dead temporarily, and then it's like the creator economy and the education space are more appealing at the moment. And for sure, be diving in deeper in one of those directions.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I I think um, there are now problems, but like part of me is like, let's you know, let's keep focusing on. Like creating good experiences on an individual, like customer by customer basis. And if you're delivering value to them, like even if it's not a hundred customers and like you have something that works and you can continue to deliver value is kind of where I'm going with this is like, and I'm going back to like what Warren and Noble can't do because they've raised money. They can't really work on a micro scale Mm -hmm. and, you know, use some customers and it's really like time. They don't have time. Like you just don't. Once you start down that path, you've got hires. You, I mean, maybe it ends up that way. I mean, I've seen some late stage companies that run out of cash and they're just like, you know, run along on fumes. It's like I guess we're, we're kind of starting the company in a sense on a smaller gas tank, and which I don't know. Maybe this isn't the way to do it. Maybe this is not the most ideal way to. Do it. I mean, at the end of the day, again, it comes back down to time. Like, are you going to spend ten years in the space waiting for? the, you know, the trade winds to change, so to speak, or do you, you know, do you just move on and move quickly and, and keep adapting? So it's something for us to think about. And I think looking at it dispassionately is the right way to do it. I mean, I think we, we need to do that on, on a probably more regular basis and uh, not wait for a competitor to, you know, uh, combust, slightly combust, or maybe lose a wing in the, in the process.
0: Yeah, it's tough. So there's a, like a certain amount of money and a certain amount of building that's needed to properly test a hypothesis, and like right. that is why you raise four million bucks. And so they're basically testing something similar to what Quibi did, and Kuby decided they needed I don't know four billion dollars to be a Netflix competitor, which is way right. too much money, and they did it very inefficiently. So you know, I guess credit to Warren for doing it for uh, a hundredth of the amount of money, whatever that is. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if he got a real test of it, or even if we did like we kind of built piece by piece and it's just, there was a lot of building required to be like a credible business in a box. I'm not sure anyone has ever tried to do that bootstrap. It's just a lot to build. So maybe that was like, we, maybe we should have raised more and got a a better test, but that would have taken longer. And I'm not sure we wanted to go down that path as much.
1: Right. Right. As you said, it would be massively dilute dilutive. Is that the right word? Um, But it, it, it just, the economics are totally different and I don't, think i'm happy we've gone the way we've gone even if it means you know moving slower to start and but i just don't think that we were in this space first enough to be like the the first responder right the one who comes in and revolutionizes the space i feel like in this particular case you know being able to kind of draft a little bit is has been valuable and so it's like we're in this peloton you know there's not a ton of us right there's maybe what six companies that are on our radar at most noble being one of them and in probably in terms of the fundraising perspective you know they were the front runner you know they still in by many metrics ha- are still in the lead however you know looking around there's uh, other competitors i think that have been bootstrapped that are probably doing comparatively better right if you if you kind of per for every dollar of investment that's been taken in what what's the return been so I think we're still in an interesting position for it. And, you know, I just think like my philosophy and I think our collective philosophy around this specific business doesn't necessitate us to, to be the one that's, that's first. And and I think, you know, not to say we're trying to copy anybody, but, you know, take lessons learned from other companies and sort of make a hybrid from it.
0: Yeah, I think that's good. I think this is going to be an interesting podcast going forward, um, deciding where we go with it and kind of our. You know a very public thinking process. So it yeah. should be a fun listen. So thanks for having listening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. Well, until
0: next week. Bye bye.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Colin.